Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Warning Track Power Podcast, the podcast about all things baseball, MLB, and everything in between. I'm Jake. And I'm Chris. And we are here to fill you in on the week, this past week in baseball. So, Chris, we had some uh, some more foreign substance news. Um, we got a, an all-star voting update and uh, just our, our kind of typical format that we've decided on so far. So we're going to recap each of our favorite teams, uh, get into a little fun fact about this day in baseball, June 14th. And then uh, we have our top underachiever and top overachiever of the season thus far. And we'll be talking about the American League West division, the last of the three American League divisions before we hop to the National League next week. So you're ready to, uh, to get started here? Yeah, let's dive into it. We've got a good bit to discuss. We're here in the really into the heart of the season. You know, at this point, we're past the we're past the it's earlier. It's, you know, only been a month or so. It's uh, we're in sort of the, you know, final push, I suppose, toward the all star break. This is, you know, the the big chance here these next month or two for teams to really figure out, how, you know, how they uh, what the season's going to look like. You know, early impressions are, you know, are one thing, but now we're in the part of the season where, you know, can you sustain your good production? Could you change your bad production? It's time to really uh, kind of put up or shut or shut up, you know, when it comes to, you know, your season, your teams and your expectations. So we've got a lot to talk about. Let's get right to it. Yeah, absolutely. So foreign substance news, Chris, what do you got? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this has been an interesting last week or so. This is something we've been talking about the last couple of weeks here on the show. Um, MLB's decision to crack down on pitchers using foreign substances to uh, enhance their grip. And then especially with spin rate, there have been a number of pitchers who in particular have attracted some attention when it comes to that, who've seen their um, spin rates jump and their production uh, jump uh, in terms of, of, of better numbers for them uh, with in, in recent years. And so there's been eyes on them as far as ben being beneficiaries of using foreign substances potentially. Uh, this week, or earlier this past week, I should say, uh, there was a big headline, of course, when Garrett Cole, the Yankees ace, was asked uh, point blank whether he had ever used spider tack. And spider tack is one of the sort of well-known, recognized, specific concoctions of substances that have been used by, uh, known to have been used by some major league pitchers uh, and to really help them with their spin rate. And so Cole was asked outright, have you ever used spider tack while pitching? And the video, I'm looking at it here on Twitter right now, this particular video clip of him saying that has 1.6 million views on it. It became a huge thing because, you know, he was like, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, I don't quite know. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest, except for he said that in about like triple or quadruple the amount of time that I just did. There was a lot mm -hmm. of pauses. It was very much a, uh, a non-answer, which was also an answer, you know, right. by it's him not answering. You was, know. Exactly. You, you could tell, you know, and of course, you know, there's no benefit for him to actually say, oh yeah, you know, you know, I, I can understand why he wouldn't want to admit it, but it also was sure. kind of one of those things where it shouldn't have been a surprise to him why he, that he'd be asked that question. And he did not yeah. seem to have at all prepared any sort of response to it. Mm -hmm. um, maybe he just assumed he wasn't going to be asked point blank that, you know, clearly whether, you know, just be something more general, but he was clearly caught off guard. Um, and so that was a big headline this week. And then it's even come up, you know, there's been a lot of different developments with 
pitchers being asked, some saying uh, they're completely fine with MLB's crackdown, some saying that they think the league should mandate, a, a, like I kind of mentioned last week, a particular substance that all pitchers can use just to help with their grip. There's been a lot of different takes on this. Um, there's even been some sort of a report I saw today that I haven't even had a chance to read into from a, a former uh, staff member, I believe, with the Angels, who basically said that he has, uh, um, yes, a former Angels visiting clubhouse manager says he provided sticky substances to Cole, Verlander, Scherzer, and others. It's very clear, you know, as, as more details come out about this whole situation that several top pitchers in the game, every team has at least a pitcher, if not multiple, probably multiple, who have been benefiting from using substances that are technically not uh, permissible by the league. But it's one of those things where the league let it get to this point, as we talked about before, um, by it was just one of those things that was never policed. And so players realized, hey, I can use rosin that helps with my grip. I can use sunscreen that helps with my grip. Well, nobody's cracking down on that. Why don't I try something a little bit more helpful? And so this is a league-wide problem. It's not a Garrett Cole problem. It's not a let's point the finger at Garrett Cole. It's not a point the finger at Trevor Bauer. Even if these guys have benefited from it, it's a much bigger problem. And I think uh, it's one that MLB is still wrestling with because it's it's just it's very much evolving to the point of where, and I know you – um, we're going to talk about this here in a second. We've seen now that baseball has potentially cracking down on this. We've seen some impact on the game the last week or so. Um, and I just think, um, let's see, I wrote this down here somewhere. Okay. Uh, I think it's been reported by ESPN that basically people within the league say that they don't actually want to find any violators, that they are just basically hoping to scare pitchers into doing the right thing rather than actually enforcing it. And I'm just not, I'm still, we're still not at the point where I can draw any huge conclusions. I'm not sure that that approach is really smart. They're mm -hmm. just basically saying, look, we hope that we can just put out press releases, say we're going to crack down on this, and then the problem will resolve itself and we can just back away. It's not exactly yeah. the most, they, they're not proactive to begin with. And clearly baseball is like, let's just get into this for a second and then hope that we can back up and it'll be solved. And sure. I'm not convinced that that'll be the case. But I don't know what you what you what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you know, you brought up something about you know a universally accepted substance that would help uh, pitchers kind of across the league, and it would be regulated and everything like that. And I read a, an article uh, in the Athletic that uh, mm -hmm. James Fegan, the White Sox beat writer for the Athletic, wrote about Liam Hendricks, the White Sox closer. And he's uh, yes. of the opinion that um, a universal substance should be added um, basically for him because he pretty much pitches exclusively in the ninth inning. And all those balls that he's being given have just been sitting and they're all dusty. So if he, he's kind of of the mindset that if he can have something that gives him a little bit more grip um, as opposed to the starters who get, you know, fresh baseballs pretty much for the first four or five innings, that'll kind of help him uh, and other closers across the league perform a little bit better. Um, but also, and you kind of alluded to this too, Bob Nightingale tweeted uh, yesterday morning that the past week 
had the lowest spin rate of any week uh, in this season. Um, batting averages are up, strikeouts are down. Um, so we're already seeing um, potentially some kind of impact uh, on the game and on pitchers' performances. Um, it remains to be seen you know, how long this trend will continue. Um, and then one other thing that I saw is in the Twins-Yankees game uh, on June 10th. So what about probably Thursday of last yeah. week, um, Aroldis Chapman came into the game and gave up two, uh, two run homers, which allowed the Twins to walk off in the bottom of the ninth inning. He did not get a single out and he was throwing uh, fastballs 94, 95, 96, which for Aroldis Chapman, who regularly is, you know, sits a hundred plus with his fastball, was a little bit startling. So obviously it's kind of like the, uh, the Garrett Cole situation um, last week or a couple of weeks ago when we said uh, he had the lowest spin rate of his career. But again, it's a, it's something to keep an eye on on a trend uh, that may or may not develop. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things where, you know, I think if I had to guess at the end of the day, as, as a couple of weeks go by here and as we maybe, you know, get to the all-star break uh, a little less than a month from now, uh, we'll be able to have a, a bigger amount, a bigger sample size of data across the league to see just how much has changed. Um, but my, my hunch is that we'll see, you know, pitchers overall performing a little bit worse, hitters overall performing a little bit better, um, but it's not going to be extreme change. That would, that would be my guess. Um, right. I would agree. A Buster only of ESPN uh, tweeted out yesterday he tweeted out the data that showed for all MLB hitters. And he basically compared, you know, April 1st through June 4th and then June 5th, which is when the, like the details came out about how this was all going to be policed by umpires. And mm-hmm. then the overall data from June 5th to June 13th. And what he found, like what the data showed is, you know, that first stretch hitters were, were batting 236 and then it was up to 247 in the last, you know, week uh, on base percentage up just a little bit slugging percentage up a little bit and it's like you know league-wide it's a it's a significant you know even small changes are somewhat significant significant because it's a big sample size but Mm -hmm. still we're only talking about like a week of data and we're not talking about huge increases in offense um you know it's not like ops you know like skyrocketed in the week (laughs) since they announced that um yeah but yeah it's one of those things like you said where it's hard to know in particular with any individual player because yeah just by the nature of baseball, you know, great starters will have bad stretches and, you know, or have bad stretches and then recover. And it's just hard to know, you know, for any one player, mm-hmm. how it's going to impact them because they're going to be guys who, you know, you might think, Oh, it's going to get, he's going to be impacted by this. He's going to be less effective. And it's, he just finds a way to do it differently, <laughs> whether he yeah. still, you know, sneaks a foreign substance and it just doesn't get caught, whether he just adjusts his game it's just going to be, you know, hard to know in an individual level, but it's definitely going to be something that it's not a storyline that's going away anytime soon. It's going to be with us pretty much, I think, in some form or fashion for basically the whole rest of the season. I completely agree. And uh, yeah, obviously that 247 number is only over a week's time. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that once we get to that about two month period until what about August 5th? until we have, uh, you know, that kind of very similar time frame to look at and see what's, what's going on. But, you know, 
11 points uh, in, in batting average is nothing to uh, sneeze at. So right. definitely something to, to keep an eye on and, and watch, uh, see if offense, uh, there's an uptick in offense over this next uh, month and a half period or so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be something to watch. Um, you know, another headline from this week, not a big headline on the same level, but it just, it caught my attention. Um, just, you know, something to acknowledge the hall of fame ceremony that is usually held every summer, uh, in baseball is going to be moved to September 8th, uh, so that fans can actually attend as, you know, COVID protocols are loosened. And, and so, um, it's actually, it's interesting because the 20, there is no 2021 hall of fame class. Nobody was voted in this right. past, you know, January, February, when the results come out, but the 2020 class still hasn't been recognized. That was supposed to happen last summer, then it was pushed to this summer, and now they're moving it uh, to the fall or September, um, which, you know, it makes perfect sense. You want to get those guys the recognition, have the fans there, have it be a real deal. And, you know, they've waited a year to do it, understandably, so might as well give it a few more months so that you can have fans there to recognize uh, Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, uh, Ted Simmons, and uh, the late Marvin Miller um, are going to be honored in September. So just uh, something interesting to note there. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think especially Larry Walker, you know, I, at least when I started paying attention to baseball, he was kind of toward the end of his career. He was playing for the Cardinals and uh, mm -hmm. I never really saw him in his prime, but knowing kind of what I know now about him, uh, definitely one of the best players of kind of that mid nineties to early two thousands generation. Um, and just seemed like a very fun player to watch when he was in his prime with Colorado and then Derek Jeter. I mean, not much more can be said about him. Um, yeah. You know, people have their, their opinions, but you know, he's got the rings to show for it. He was a very successful hitter. Um, and, you know, I think he, he's definitely earned his spot in Cooperstown, regardless of uh, how people, you know, kind of feel about him and whatever hot takes people have. I think he's uh, more than deserving of a spot in Cooperstown. Yeah, absolutely. And you had me pulling up Larry Walker's baseball reference page here to, to, <laughs> to take another look. And you're right. Yeah. I, I kind of, when I first was aware of him, it was like you said, it was mid two thousands, the tail end of his career. He was with the Cardinals the last two seasons and he was just, you know, he was okay. He, he didn't, he didn't really fade out that much. He was still a good hitter, but Sure. those prime years for him, the late nineties, looking at the amount of like bold and italic stats, which indicate on oh, base yeah. baseball reference page, which are like, he led the league, you know, like he hit at his age 32 season, he hit 379 and slugged 1168. Like, you know, he led yeah. the league in batting average on base slugging OPS uh, and ended up finishing 10th in MVP voting. I don't know how that happened, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, really a crazy, really, really impressive career and a pretty long career, 17 years. So 17 years, absolutely. Yeah. Not quite well 400 deserved. home runs, but batted well over 300 at 313 on base right at 400 and an OPS at 965. So didn't have quite the power numbers, but everything else is, is uh, phenomenal. So MP1 uh, looks like seven gold gloves along with three silver sluggers. So yeah, mm -hmm. has the accolades to, uh, to back it up and, and the numbers to back it up as well. So 
Larry Walker and Derek Jeter, along with Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons, finally being recognized by the Baseball Hall of Fame, even if it's uh, going to be about 15 months late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that it'll be worth it for all the fanfare uh, that we get to get in, uh, get with that and having fans Absolutely. in attendance. Uh, yeah. One other thing that, that caught my eye this past week, I'm sure, uh, Jake, you you saw the the headlines from it, probably some oh, on yeah. social media about it. The Blue Jays just Definitely. an incredible offensive explosion on Sunday, just yesterday, as we're recording this uh, at Fenway Park. They had eight total home runs, twenty hits, eighteen runs scored in the game. It's the most home runs the Blue Jays have had in a game in in over a decade. It's the most home runs that have ever been hit by a visitor in a game at Fenway Park. And it's just, you know, it's really impressive on its own, just like looking at those numbers, it's it's impressive, but it does sort of, you know, with things like this, it sort of draws my attention to think about what that means for the team. And like, what is this telling us? Obviously, you know, it's telling us they're capable of having a day like that and it's a great offense, but it's like, right. okay, you know, what do I, what what's gonna get my attention about what this means for them moving forward? and. Sure. The answer is it just sort of reminded me about how, you know, how good their offense is now. It's a top three offense in baseball, and it's been a top three offense in baseball without the leadoff man. They just paid $150 million to get in free agency in George Springer. Yeah. Uh, he's expected to be back. He's starting a rehab assignment, so hopefully he's back for them within the next week. And so that'll make that lineup just that $150 million scarier. Um, But just the guys they have in that lineup from, you know, Marcus Simeon, I think we talked about him before, or at least uh, he's someone who's been having a great year. Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Randall Gritchick, all these guys. But then, of course, the big one is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who we talked two weeks, two weeks ago, we talked about who would be our, we revealed our uh, MVP and and Cy Young picks at the basically the one third mark of the season. And we both agreed Shohei Otani in the AL. And <laughs> I probably am still going Shohei Otani because of what he's been able to do. But like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is making it really, really interesting. He yes. leads all of the all of baseball in home runs, RBI, on base, OPS, slugging, <laughs> total bases, and war among hitters. It's just incredible. His slugging percentage is higher than the OPS of nine teams, which, you know, slugging percentage is just one part of, of, you know, for people who don't know slugging percentage, you add that with on base percentage to get OPS. So sure. yep. the fact that his slugging percentage is better than the OPS of a third of the league, basically is, it's just mm-hmm. comical. He's a guy who, you know, he came up so young a couple of years ago and his first mm-hmm. taste in the majors, he was just, he was okay. But he wasn't, yeah. and he came up as this huge prospect. I mean, he was supposed to be, he was compared to, you know, Albert Pujols. And yeah. it took him a few years, but he came up so young. He's still, um, I think he's still like, what is he, 23 years old? He's, he's 22. He's still just 22. Uh, so, you know, people just needed to give him a little time. You know, people expected mm-hmm. immediate results. He's still 22, and he looks like one of the best hitters in the game yes. at that age. He's going to be a guy that we're, if we're not already thinking about it that way, people need to be thinking about it and comparing him and putting him in the same class as the Acunas and the Sotos and the Tatis Juniors of the world. 
Um, yeah, obviously, he's not a gifted defender in the same way, but just in terms of young, amazing MVP caliber hitters, uh, yeah. he's right there and a big part of why the Blue Jays have been so successful this year. Yeah, I mean, you look at his stat line, basically the same number of at-bats. He had 221 at-bats last year. He's got 226 coming into today. Uh, mm-hmm. He's doubled his amount of walks. Uh, he has virtually the same number of strikeouts. And his on-base percentage has jumped by almost 120 points along with his slugging percentage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he didn't really have the power numbers uh, in just 60 games last season. He's got – he had nine home runs and 33 RBIs. Uh, yeah, like you said, leading the league with 21 homers, 55 RBIs, uh, OPS 11.28. I mean, there's – there's you'd be hard-pressed to find a better – hitter from all aspects uh in the major leagues right now you know you got your mike trouts and your ronald acunas like you said but vladimir guerrero jr is definitely making forcing his way into the uh american league mvp conversation because as of right now i if you ask me to pick who my mvp is i don't know if i could if i could pick you know otani brings yeah. like you said so much to the hate from to the table from both sides of the ball. But I mean, you take Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out of that Blue Jays lineup and what does it look like? Yeah. Um, but anyway, getting back to that game, that 18 to four game, he had Teoscar Hernandez with two home runs. He had six RBIs after those two, three run homers. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. had one. Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr. and Rowdy Telez all with home runs. Um, and it was just an offensive explosion. Like you said, it was uh, something to uh, kind of remind everybody, you know, this Blue Jays offense, like you said, top three offense in baseball, and they're going to give a lot of teams a lot of problems, even if their pitching isn't, um, you know, top half of the league, even. They'll be, they'll be a thorn in a lot of team sides as we uh, head into the middle part of the season, especially – you know, teams like the Yankees who are struggling right now, the last thing they want to see is a lineup like the Blue Jays. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I sometimes think about just like if the maybe the Blue Jays go out and add a good starting pitcher at the deadline or, you know, prior to the trade deadline and about a month and a half, like that could make them legit, legitimately, you know, one of the best all around teams in the game, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like we, you know, we said their offense is elite, their pitching is below average to average ish. Um, So yeah, the possibility of them maybe being sellers, getting up an ace pitcher at the deadline, that would really, really make them scary. Um, No doubt about that. Uh, And the talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leads perfectly into our next segment because he is leading all players in voting for the all-star game. Uh, MLB announced today uh, an update on where balloting is basically you know here's the gave us everybody the rundown of who's leading in each position um and vladimir guerrero jr is leading all players uh to head to the all-star game uh which is going to be in denver on july 13th um jake was there anybody uh you know we don't necessarily have to go down and, and read off the entire list for each of them but was there anything that really caught your attention among um the news that the update that mlb provided today um, not particularly. Everything was kind kind of fell, um, you know, 
as I was expecting, you know, you got uh, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker in the mm-hmm. top three and National League outfielder uh, voting. Those are two guys that we've talked about um, pretty regularly on the show. Um, not as uh, high as I thought they might be in terms of, you know, receiving votes because Castellanos has 11% and Jesse Winker has 9% closely followed by Mookie Betts with 8%. I don't know, you know, I'm not super familiar with what uh, Betts is doing this season, but, you know, I think those numbers for each of those guys should be higher. Um, And then in the American league, you got first place, Mike Trout, who is hurt uh, and third place, Byron Buxton who is hurt. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, obviously two of the best outfielders, uh, in baseball right now, but, uh, both have, have definitely missed their fair share of time and trout, uh, probably going to be out a significant time longer than Buxton, probably not even back in time, uh, for the all-star game next month. Uh, as far as anything else goes, um, Tim Anderson in third place for American League shortstop voting with 11% of the vote behind Bo Bichette and Sandra Bogarts. Uh, Yohan Moncada getting 13% of the vote behind uh, Rafael Devers. He's in second place. And Jose Abreu getting 9% of the vote behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for uh, first base in the American League, as well as I believe Yasmani Grandalia is in second place uh, for. American League catchers behind Salvador Perez. So the White Sox have the potential to be very well represented this season, as well as uh, obviously pitchers are not uh, voted on by the fans and any reserves uh, will be determined by a uh, combination of ballots from the players and the commissioner's office. So um, pretty much everything falling uh, as I was, as I would expect. Chris, is there anything that you uh, that's kind of stuck out to you? Yeah, I think you you hit on a lot of things that I observed as well. Honestly, you know, I was a little bit, the thing that almost su- the pr- surprised me the most was how much it made sense. Like usually every year, and we don't, these obviously aren't the final, you know, all-star, you know, it's just a balloting update. There's still much more right. time to go for things to change. But this, usually every year, there's like a couple guys who they're not non-deserving, like they are deserved to be there, but the idea of them as the starters, it's not there's usually a couple of guys that stand out as like, okay, I'm fine that they're on the team, but they really shouldn't be the starter for their league. Right. There exactly. really isn't anybody on this list of who the leaders are right now in both leagues who I look at and say, Oh boy, that's, you know, that's just the fans of that team kind of just being really aggressive with the, the yeah. voting and that's not really deserved. And there really isn't any of those players, you know, looking up the American league, you know, Devers and Bogarts from the Red Sox. Basically, the American League infield is Red Sox on the left side, Blue Jays on the right side with mm-hmm. Guerrero Jr. and Simeon. Uh, you know, you mentioned Trout and Buxton both out. They both were off to very great starts, especially Buxton before they got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, like he's Trout will probably be there and be recognized, but not play. That's my guess. Yeah, um, but you know, in the National League too, right? You're getting to the top players this season. You, you've got the mix of the big names and the guys who are also just, you know, Jesse Winker, a guy who is not somebody who's just like a well-recognized name as being his star, but it's sure. good to see that. I'm glad he's getting the recognition from the fans here that it is, isn't just some name brand player who hadn't done as well getting the nod so far. I'm glad that it is Winker getting recognized, but you also have Tatis and Acuna and, 
you know, Posey, you know, who's having a, a great year. So yeah, really the thing that I noticed the most was how much it looked like I would, you know, like I would choose if I was uh, filling out a ballot right now, it would look very similar to what the leaders are in voting. So yeah, really none that caught my attention. Uh, you mentioned some of the White Sox guys. I'll go ahead and mention some of the Cardinals guys. It doesn't look like there's going to be a ton of representation from the Cardinals, mm -hmm. um, which is fine because frankly, there's not a lot of guys who deserve it. They've got some guys who have been good players, but sure. there's not, uh, you know, Yadier Molina is second in NL voting. He's had a great, he's had a very good year, but Buster Posey has also rebounded. It's the year of the old catchers rebounding. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so Posey's deserved there. You know, and everywhere else I, I look, I don't really see, uh, I say Arenado is uh, second in balloting in the NL, but Bryant's had a better year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think, you know, there's just really isn't anybody else in the Cardinals. I would think, uh, I don't think I have the, what happened to the numbers. Uh, the outfield, obviously we've seen um, a great run from Tyler O'Neill here recently, but it's just, it's not going to be enough fast enough and he's not a big enough name uh for him to get in there i don't think so no real complaints i think that's fine i'm not somebody who is so blinded to my team that i can't they're like oh no all the cardinals should be all stars uh sure. so i yeah. think i think yeah pretty good so far yeah i would agree and um that kind of takes us very uh loosely into our next um mm -hmm. news item here um, this was just something I saw on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago when uh, I believe it was Saturday, somebody tweeted and wondered what were Paul DeYoung's numbers? Um, this is going to get very specific. What were Paul DeYoung's uh, stats during Saturday away games since 2019 while wearing the Cardinals baby blue uniforms? And John Boy Media uh, picked this up, picked this person's tweet up, and tweeted out that Paul DeYoung has a slash line of 303, 397, 712, and an OPS of 1015 during Saturday away games since 2019 in the baby blue uniforms. He's played 19 games, 78 plate appearances, 20 hits, 10 walks, 8 homers, and 18 RBIs. He's 5 for 13 with 5 homers this season while wearing the... Uh, you know, on Saturday away games, at least. So just a very, um, you know, oddly specific, but, uh, you know, it's kind of those one of, one of those things that like, yeah, those are numbers that exist, but do they matter? No, absolutely not. It's just kind of something fun to, you know, uh, kind of look at and, you know, see, you know, what if he wore these, these uniforms every day? And what if every day was a Saturday away game? So something weird and something you know only uh only baseball right yeah yeah it's really weird I, that one caught my attention as well uh and so i you know i've been looking this up now you've been been talking uh yeah. to see like you know what could this be like is this just a, like one of those random things is there actually something behind it and so i looked at his numbers and it seems like he does you know so most saturday games are well i won't say most a lot of them are day games um so he does seem to hit better in day games than night games a little bit yeah. so maybe yeah. that has something like there's some correlation there but it certainly doesn't explain it to the extent of him like playing like babe ruth in 
you know, those, those road games with those uniforms, it's, it's crazy, especially considering, you know, you mentioned those numbers since 2019 and frankly, DeYoung, I think he's a solid hitter, but he hasn't really been great the last, he hasn't been good this year. He was only mediocre Mm -hmm. last year. So it's kind of even more, it's not like this is a guy who normally hits 280 and then he just hits 303 uh, when in those uniforms, this is a guy who since the beginning of 2019 has a batting average of 227. So the fact that the numbers you just mentioned stand out even more, it's just, like you said, it's one of those crazy things about baseball um, where it's just like this guy, I don't know if he's comfortable in the uniform. Is it a complete coincidence? Who knows, but that's baseball for you. Right. Absolutely. And uh, another thing that's, well, not really baseball, but uh, <laughs> it has to do with baseball. This is something I just saw today. Um, mm-hmm. Jacob DeGrom, we've talked about him at length on the show. Um, and we've had our minds blown by, you know, the ability and the display of pitching that he has put on all season long and for his most of his entire career. Um, but Jacob DeGrom has pitched 64 innings this season. And he has allowed four earned runs, which by itself, incredible stat. As a batter, he has had 25 at-bats. Yeah, he has 25 at-bats, and he has driven in five runs. I mean, there, there's no words anymore. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean, you have a pitcher who who – he has literally contributed more runs offensively than he has allowed defensively on the mound. Like, right. And for anyone not named Shohei Otani, that's incredible. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's incredible. We talked about him last week. You know, I saw this, another stat that just is two days ago that basically looks at, it's pretty simple stat. We've talked about war in the past and Mm -hmm. it just is since the beginning of the 2018 season, Using baseball reference war, Jacob deGrom has been the best player in the game since 2018. He has the highest B war of any player in baseball since the start of 2018. Mookie Betts is second. Mike Trout is third. Then you have Bregman and Scherzer. Names like you generally expect. No surprises there. And then you have deGrom, who's just been the, you know, I think he's got to be, you know, at this point, he is my favorite, I think, for NL, not just Cy Young, but probably MVP. I mean, he's on track here where we're going to be in serious territory about him to, uh, potentially breaking the single season um, all-time lowest ERA um, yeah. mark uh, So that, that Bob Gibson set back in the 1968. Um, mm-hmm. So he's on track. You know, we're in serious. He's so far below it that it's starting to become a serious discussion whether he could have the best ERA of a, a pitcher in a single season. Yes, it's just absolutely. it's sensational i only have one other quick thing quick thing to add with that i sure. saw this i feel like i had to had to bring it to the table here uh this season i brought up a similar stat a week or so ago mm-hmm. uh he has been produced more war than 13 of the other 2019 pitching staffs in baseball wow. like the entire pitching staffs of 13 teams have combined to be less productive than Degrom. yeah uh, you know, like the entire Cardinals pitching staff has been combined. They have contributed less than DeGrom and the same for 12 other teams as well. It's you're running out of words to describe it. We're watching history. Like I said, last week, and it's just, it's must, must watch TV at this point. Absolutely. I 
hundred percent agree. Um, you know, obviously we said it last week and we've said it many times, um, you know, keep every time the ground is on the hill and you're able to see it either, either on TV or in person, make sure to watch it. Um, cause we're witnessing some kind of history right now. And one other minor thing, uh, to mention about another, uh, very talented pitcher in baseball right now is Shane Bieber, uh, for the Cleveland Indians. Um, he's got some injury trouble. Uh, Chris, what do you know about that? Yeah. So just a short time ago here on Monday, he was placed on the injured list by the Indians with a right shoulder strain. Um, you know, he hasn't been, you know, he's been overshadowed by the likes of uh, Jacob deGrom and, you know, the Shohei Otani hype and, and things like that, understandably so. And he hasn't been posting a, a one point, you know, two ERA or anything, but he's been very good this year following up his Cy Young season at 2.52 ERA. Mm -hmm. He leads the majors in strikeouts and now he's going to be not even throwing for two weeks before he gets reevaluated. So best guess is it's probably like a month before we would potentially see him or at least, you know, maybe the all-star break. I don't know if he pitches again before the all-star break. So this is obviously relevant to the White Sox uh, because at this point, the Indians look like the only potential competition to the White Sox in the AL Central. There's already a 5.5 game difference between those teams and the Indians, a team that has a very, very bad offense. They rely on that pitching staff and without, mm -hmm. uh, without Bieber for probably the next month, um, that really could sink them even deeper. Uh, it could really give the White Sox a chance to gain a really significant edge, uh, more than they even have right now, to really pull away, frankly, in the division. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, that offense for the Indians is, is not very good at all. And uh, add the uh, Shane Bieber injury to the Zach Plesak injury that happened uh, while he joined the IL just uh, about a week ago now. Um, so top two starters for Cleveland uh, out at least for probably a week uh, or so before Plesak is able to come back and be 100%. But then you have, you know, Aaron Savali, good starter. Mm -hmm. uh, and then beyond that, I don't know what they're going to do because they got right now on their depth chart listed, they have Juan Carlos Mejia and Cal Quantrill. So if you're Cleveland, uh, you're just hoping to tread water um, until at least Plesak comes back and put together enough offense to, you know, keep pace with Chicago because otherwise it could be pretty much the end of the road for uh, the Indians playoff hopes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well put. And uh, I think it, it brings us into a nice transition for us to discuss our teams, uh, how they perform this week. We have once again, teams heading in opposite directions. And one of them, we just mentioned the, the White Sox uh, just, continuing to find success and really just like there's you know I said before like eventually I think they're going to go through th some rough patch and it just isn't happening it's been another great week for them right yeah absolutely Chris you are 100% correct uh, the White Sox went five and one over the past week um, I was really excited for the Blue Jays series uh, that happened Tuesday Wednesday Thursday of last week and it lived up to the hype um, game one Carlos Rodon was brilliant again against the very tough Blue Jays lineup. He went five innings, allowed just one earned run and struck out eight. Um, very low scoring pitchers duel uh, through pretty much eight innings um, or through seven innings, at least Andrew Vaughn 
hit a solo home run in the seventh to tie it at one. And then he ended up driving in the game winning run with the sacrifice fly in the eighth inning. Uh, the Sox added four more runs uh, in the eighth to win six to one. Uh, they got four scoreless innings out of four different relief pitchers, Jose Ruiz, uh, Evan Marshall, Garrett Crochet, and Liam Hendricks. Um, they did everything they needed to win, played the game uh, fundamentally well. Um, and it was just a, a good team win from top to bottom. Um, in game two, kind of the exact opposite of game one. It was very similar in terms of a, a, uh, a low-scoring pitcher's duel. It was a 2-1 Sox lead headed to the eighth. Lance Lynn was phenomenal again. He pitched seven innings of one-run ball. Um, Aaron Bummer came in for the eighth. Uh, it started with a drop third strike uh, and a couple more base hits. And then throwing error by Tim Anderson. And the Blue Jays ended up winning 6-2 to two after uh, scoring two, uh, three in the eighth and two in the ninth. Um, but the worst news coming out of that game is the White Sox lost uh, Nick Madrigal to a torn hamstring in the seventh inning, trying to run out a ground ball. Um, there is really no uh, guess as to when he'll be back. It's still to be determined if he's going to need surgery for that. If he does, it would be season ending, uh, but we're still waiting for an update on that. So um, another key piece to the White Sox uh, down with a, a pretty serious injury. Um, but then game three, Sox are able to bounce back. Um, another great starting pitching performance. Dallas Keuchel uh, did it this time for them. Six innings, two earned runs, and eight strikeouts. Um, Sox got three in the first uh, after a Grandal homer and an Abreu RBI double. Um, the Jays fought back uh, with a run each in the fifth and the sixth, but the Sox added one each in the seventh and eighth. Liam Hendricks comes in and gets his uh, 16th save, and the, the White Sox take a 5-2 to two win. And two games out of three from the Blue Jays, who will most likely be uh, a playoff team in October. Um, and we, we talked about their uh, their lineup at length earlier. Um, and then after that, we head to Detroit for three games. Game one, um, I don't really know how to describe game one of this series. It was kind of, if, if a baseball game could be a fever dream, I think that's what what this uh, game was kind of like. Um, there was a wild rundown, uh, which led to a run for the White Sox, courtesy of Adam Engel, a pickoff throwing error by uh, Jake Rogers, the Detroit catcher. Uh, Liam Hendricks kind of lost his cool because of rain. He threw one pitch, decided it was too wet, threw the ball into the dugout. Um, and then he came back and gave up his first earned run since April 24th, um, which was on a game time homer by Daz Cameron. Um, Yohan Moncada did come up big in the top of the 10th inning with a game-winning sack fly. Um, and Aaron Bummer closed it out in the bottom of the 10th. Giolito, another great start um, for White Sox pitching. Six innings, two earned runs, and nine strikeouts. Um, game two was a, an offensive explosion by all accounts. 15-2 to two win. Uh, Brian Goodwin, the call-up uh, for the White Sox after Madrigal went down. He started his White Sox career two for two with an RBI double and a three-run homer. Uh, he ended the day with five RBIs. Uh, Larry Garcia and Yerman Mercedes also added three RBIs apiece. Dylan Cease uh, went five innings with seven Ks, five innings just because there was no need for him to go any further than that as the Sox were up pretty big at that point. 
Uh, and game three was the sweep game. Rodon, Carlos Rodon flirted with another no-hitter. He took one to the seventh this time uh, before giving up an Eric Haas double. Um, and that was their only hit of the, of the game. Uh, for the Tigers, he struck out nine uh, over seven innings. Jose Abreu went three for five, and Leori Garcia added two more RBIs to his total, leading to a 4-1 Sox win. And we were talking about this earlier um, before we started recording. The White Sox now have a plus 106 run differential, uh, which is the best in baseball, 15 better than the second-place Dodgers, and uh, the only team in the American League with a positive uh, run differential. Um, so very interesting there. Um, the White Sox will host the Rays for three games, which is going to be a very entertaining series. Uh, game one is going on now and the White Sox trail three to two. Um, it's Lanflin versus Tyler Glass now and both starters have been touched up uh, so far. Bottom of the fourth with two outs and Andrew Vaughn at the plate at this point. Um, but up until today, and me writing this probably jinxed it, but White Sox starters hadn't allowed more than two runs in a start since June 5th, which was seven starts in a row. So um, jinx, no jinx, I don't know, but Lance Lynn has given up three uh, in four innings pitched so far. So definitely a successful week, a uh, good showing against a very good Blue Jays team, and then uh, sweeping the Tigers, which they should absolutely do. Um, so they're beating the teams they, they should beat and uh, definitely competing very, very strongly with the teams that are um, definitely putting themselves in contention for the postseason. But Chris, I mean, I'm enjoying my, my time with the White Sox. <laughs> I have a feeling you're not quite uh, enjoying your time with your Cardinals quite as much. Yeah, it's not been as pretty. It's not been as pretty. I will say that. Yeah, I'll just say this real quick when it comes to the White Sox. It, sure. It, I just keep looking back to that pitching. It just keeps getting the job done. You just said it uh, with that stat. And, you know, I'm looking at some of these numbers from their pitchers over the last couple of weeks. And you have Rodon, who's still now right now has a 1.89 ERA. Mm -hmm. Lance Lynn getting the job done. Keiko settling in. I mean, it's just that's the thing that's really held them together because I'm looking at the lineup that they're throwing out there and it's, it's got great players in it, but because of the number of injuries that they have yeah. at this point, it's not like it's incredibly threatening top to bottom. Like, you know, you yeah. got Anderson, you got Abreu and Grandall, but like, you know, Garcia and Mendick and Adam Eaton, like it's not the most threatening thing in the world yet. No. They just have guys who keep coming through offensively. They still have those stars in like Anderson and Abreu and the pitching is just right there all the time. It's really, really impressive. And it's something that I really, really am jealous of because that is the thing <laughs> the Cardinals lack. Like it's, it's, you know, among, and I saw some national people say this, so it's not just me saying this off the top of my head. Sure. Among, among potential contender, contending teams, I don't think there's a bigger, more, more glaring, obvious need for a team than the Cardinals need for pitching. <laughs> at this point like it's yeah. it's it's really bad it was another rough week for the cardinals who went one and four and frankly i don't have a lot of reasons for hope and i don't mean like i'm calling off the playoff hopes i'm not saying they're done and they're toast because they're still around 500 it's not like i'm saying it's over but it wasn't pretty they started the week uh, by splitting a two-game series against the indians carlos martinez was bad in game one 
uh, Adam Wainwright was good in game two, and he's really been their only dependable starter of late is a, what is he, 39 or something now, year yeah, old pitcher. And that's the only guy they can really count on. Uh, one bright spot has been Tyler O'Neill continuing to produce. He had two home runs in that game two um, against the uh, Indians. And then uh, the Cardinals went to Wrigley to face the Cubs in a really big series. It's the first time Wrigley Field was allowed to be at full capacity, and it was packed, and mm -hmm. the Cardinals proceeded to get swept, uh, and it was really <laughs> ugly. Uh, they blew a 5-1 lead in the first game. I was sitting there Ooh. thinking, okay, well, you know, even if they lose two of three, it looks like they can win this first game. Right. Then at least they can say, you know, at least they say they got one of them. They blew a 5-1 lead. The bullpen was bad. In the second game, John Gant imploded. His recent, like, just disastrous run has continued. He didn't get through the second inning. Cardinals pitchers had eight walks in that game. You just can't win a game against a good team when you issue eight walks as a pitching staff. And game three, Carlos Mar game three was almost more disappointing than the other two because this time Carlos Martinez was able to get back on track. He... Uh, gave up two runs, but none of them were earned. And he got through seven innings and only issued one walk. But there was an error by Paul DeYoung and there was no offense. So that was almost more deflating than the other two. Because, you know, you know, the, you know, at this point, there's a run of the bullpen being bad and of the starting rotation having some real struggles. But when you get a starter who can go out there and actually give you a decent outing and then your offense falls flat, that's really, really just distressing i suppose yes. uh you know you have the cubs out here they're you know on top of the nl central along with the uh brewers at this point tied atop the nl central and the cubs have won 15 of 20 the cardinals have now lost 11 of 13 Ooh. um it's just it's just bad i mean the numbers kind of speak for themselves the pitching is just so so bad they really only have a few relievers they can actually trust like two or three and they only have, you know, their rotation is so depleted at this point. You know, they got Andrew Miller out there with a nearly five ERA. Carlos Martinez still has a 5.5 ERA. Another guy in the rotation, Oviedo, has a 5.7 ERA. And they've got three other relievers in their bullpen with an ERA above six. Like, it just, you know, it just doesn't get the job done, you know. Yeah. And I don't know where there's going to be able to, like I said last week, I'm not sure that even if they do go out and acquire some pitching, I'm not sure they can, or that one or two players are going to fix the problem because it's so all in click. It's so every, it's everywhere. It, it's yeah. not just a couple guys. It's there's the only a couple guys they can count on. So I'm not sure how much a player or two would really fix it. Fortunately, uh, I will say they have a really, really easy stretch here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're playing against Miami uh, starting on Monday tonight as we're recording this. And I believe, uh, they're already losing. Okay. Uh, it's two to one, <laughs> two to one in the fourth as we record this. So maybe they'll come back. I don't know. Um, but they've got a really easy stretch. They play uh, Atlanta after this, which uh, they're a good team, but they haven't been great. And then they play Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Arizona, who are probably three of, they may be the three worst teams in baseball, three of the five yeah. or four worst teams in baseball. So this is the time, like the schedule's, being kind to them. It's saying you're down right now. You're struggling. You're missing guys. This is as easy as it gets. If they can't at least they need, if they can't even go 500 in this stretch, then I really don't have any hope. They should be going well over 500 and beating up on these teams to try to keep in a good position in the standings. So 
I'll keep, uh, I'll stop blabbering about them, but it, it's pretty, <laughs> it's, it's not very encouraging right now. We got teams going in different directions. Uh, yeah. but this is a good opportunity for them, you know, to beat up on these teams that they should be beating up on so that they can stay in the picture because a bad stretch against teams like this, it would put them really far down in the hole and mean that they, you know, you play these bad teams. Now that means, you know, you assume the good teams are going to come up after that and, you know, I, I don't have confidence in them beating good teams, so we got to do it now. Right. No, definitely. And Pittsburgh and Arizona are the, the two worst teams in the National League. You got Detroit coming up, who's the uh, – looks to be fourth worst, tied with Minnesota, fourth worst team in the uh, American League. And then Miami, who's kind of just average yeah. in the National League. East. So, yeah, definitely uh, an opportunity coming up for the Cardinals to – grab some easy wins and kind of, you know, put themselves back into the, the race in the national league central. Um, but Chris, for your sake, I said it last week, say it again this week. I hope they can find a way to get it together. Cause they can, uh, I know, I know it's not fun. I've been there with the white Sox, So, Oh yeah. You know, it's not, it's uh, never any fun when you, uh, you know, you play a bad game all the way around and you lose and then you know you get a, a phenomenal start like Carlos Martinez gave you in game three uh yesterday against the Cubs and somehow you still find a way to lose it so um yeah definitely deflating and disheartening uh for Cardinals fans and uh I definitely feel for uh for you and uh the Cardinals as a whole because that is no fun yeah it, it isn't fun I appreciate that obviously uh, like yeah. you said, you've been there. Uh, you've had those, you know, had to deal with that. I've been pretty fortunate. The Cardinals have been a good team for a long time, so I yeah. can't complain too much. But clearly, still want to get this turned around. Yeah. So that'll bring us into our uh, our little intermission here. Our this day in baseball for June fourteenth, the day we are recording this episode. So we are going to go back to June fourteenth, nineteen ninety six and talk about one of the greatest shortstops of all time, Cal Ripken Jr. On this day in 1996, Cal Ripken Jr. broke the world record for most consecutive games played uh, in baseball um, with 2,216. So now this is the, the world record. Uh, he had already broken the previous record in the uh, in MLB, held by Lou Gehrig at that point. Uh, but the previous record holder for the world record was Sachio Kinugasa, I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly, but he was a former player for the Hiroshima Toyo Carp in Nippon Professional Baseball in Japan. Um, obviously, Kyle Ripken would go on to play 2,632 consecutive games for the Baltimore Orioles over his 20-plus year career. But Kinugasa was a great player in his own right in Japan. Um, he was seventh in Nippon Professional Baseball in home runs, fifth in career hits, and tenth in career RBIs. Uh, and was inducted into the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame in 1996. And uh, he was actually on hand for the game when uh, Ripken broke his record, which was um, kind of cool to read and learn about. Um, but something that you kind of didn't really realize happened, but definitely uh, something that should be should be recognized um, because I don't care what, you know, what baseball league you're playing in or where in the world it is or anything like that. Playing over 2,200 consecutive games is a quite an accomplishment. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think this is this was a really interesting one because I didn't obviously, you know, you know about the uh, him breaking Lou Gehrig's streak uh, of 2130 games, but I did mm-hmm. not realize uh, this aspect of the, you know, getting to to breaking the world's record. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's an interesting one. And it just it it never ceases. I think we kind of maybe I don't mean we I don't mean you, but just baseball fans in general kind of who know the history a little bit of with Cal Ripken Jr. and his streak you know, I think it kind of, you forget about how remarkable it truly was because mm-hmm. that's just not the kind of thing you see in baseball these days. I mean, obviously we haven't seen it since, but just in terms right. of players playing, I don't know, you know, guys playing even 162 games in a season. I mean, right. how many guys I'd be interested to go, I'm not going to look it up now, but I'd be interested to know how many guys even do that in a given season these days. Mm-hmm. And that's 162 games, let right. alone over 2000. It's just, you just it's hard to wrap your head around it's one of those things that's just like you just like oh yes very impressive he did that that's amazing yeah. but when you actually think about how many seasons of playing you know 162 straight it would take to get to i mean you know how long of a stretch that was players these days it's just it's just not something anybody even it's not something we talk about any player even potentially challenging like it's not like oh well right. such and such a guy got even halfway there it just doesn't happen yeah, it's it it's doesn't. pretty crazy and uh, I just pulled up the baseball reference page for uh, 2019, and there were only five players that played uh, all 162 games uh, for their team. Uh, they were, um, let's see, lost it. Here we go. Jorge Soler, Whit Merrifield, Starling Castro, Jonathan VR, and Marcus Simeon. Mm. So definitely no real you know like all-star caliber players you can make the argument for Whit Merrifield and obviously that was uh, Marcus Simeon's I believe his breakout season that year uh yep that was his uh his career season where he hit 33 homers but he's probably the best player on that list so you know playing 162 games only five people only five players did it in 2019 so you know Howard and Jr. playing over 2,600 consecutive games, there will be nobody that ever gets close to that record. Yeah. Probably, like yeah. you said, gets even halfway there. So, Yeah, the last guy, I just pulled up the list of all time of the most consecutive games played list that um, that uh, Cal Ripken is atop. And the mm-hmm. only guy this in the 2000s, the only guy this millennium who has played, only one guy has played over 1,000 consecutive games. That was Miguel Tejada from yeah. 2000 to 2007 and he only got to 1100 so yeah it's just it, nobody else is even gonna get close yeah absolutely so after that we're gonna jump to our uh division spotlight of the american league west division and uh right now as it stands today the oakland athletics sit atop the division 40 wins, 27 losses, with a two-game lead over the Houston Astros, who are 37 and 28, both a significantly better run differential at plus 86 versus the A's plus 21. Um, Really looking at it right now, I think it's going to come down to those two teams, and whoever doesn't get in probably grabs that second American League wildcard spot if uh, it doesn't go to one of the teams in the American League East. Um, Oakland, we've talked about it before, kind of in that same 
realm as Tampa Bay, um, low payroll, somehow can always put a, a very good product on the field. They have guys like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, um, pitching staff includes guys like Sean Manaya, Chris Bassett, guys that are very, very good, but there's no real superstar on the team. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have the Houston Astros who are full of superstars, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, um, Yuli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, um, Zach Greinke on the pitching staff. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see which, which kind of um, philosophy or which kind of style of team prevails. Um, but it seems like every single year, the Oakland A's find a way to get themselves into the postseason. And obviously last season, uh, they beat the White Sox two games to one in the first round. Um, and they're just a very, very good team. They've won eight of their last 10 games, uh, including three in a row. They're playing right now against the Angels, who sit in third place. And every year seems to be the Angels here, and they just can never figure it out. And I think this year will be no different. They might be a little better than normal, uh, having Shohei Otani for a full season. But I think it's definitely going to come down to the Oakland A's and the Houston Astros. And I think the A's are going to pull it out. Um, and best the Astros by just a couple of games. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit on all the major things that that jumped to my attention. You've got, this is one of those divisions where you can essentially, when it comes to talking about the playoffs, disregard the two teams at the bottom. You know, the Rangers are still fully in the midst of a rebuild. The Mariners are getting better. I think that the future of them competing is not necessarily that far away, but they're still a below 500 club at this point. And I think moving forward, um, they're a more respectable team than they have been in the past, but they're not a good team. And then, you know, my eyes really, like you said, it's, it's the A's and the Astros at the top. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one of those two teams, and it's going to be a question of whether the other team makes the playoffs or not, whether it goes, if, if, you know, you could have both wild cards come out of the AL East. It's possible, you know, you could have Toronto and Boston potentially, yeah. or, you know, who, they've still got the Yankees in there. Uh, you could get two uh, two AL East wild cards, um, or you know you could get both uh, the leaders in the AL West in there. Um, you know I don't know how the A's keep doing it. It's kind of like the Rays, not to that extent, but mm-hmm. it's just one of those teams where every offseason they lose a couple big contributors and somehow they find a way to not really fall back a step at all. Um, you know Matt Olson's been yeah. huge for them this year. He was just horrible last year. Uh, he hit. 195 last year and now he's out there hitting basically 290 with 18 homers i mean mm-hmm. uh he's been an mvp candidate for them i mean not like guy we talk about a lot but still a, a great player um so you know but the astros i think have actually you know you talked about the run differential i think the astros have you know i think that they you know they're two games back but i think they've actually been they basically the same or even potentially played a little bit better um yeah. And I don't think that that's really going to change because you mentioned the star power that they have. Um, you know, there's you know there's always some questions with them. I don't know about the pitching, um, but I also don't know about the A's pitching. And somehow it continues to be productive, <laughs> so despite the lack of of brand names there. So I think yeah. it's going to come to that to those two. And then there's like you said, there's the Angels. I just I feel bad. I I don't I don't really feel I don't feel bad for their ownership because they're the ones. <laughs> I mean. 
but you know, you get Otani going, of course, Trout's been hurt, but they've actually played well since Trout's been out. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're eight and two in their last 10 games. They've been playing well. They're eight and two in their last 10 games and they're still only a game above 500. I don't, it's like, you know, I've talked about this before. They've got some really great talent, Rendon, Trout, Otani, but there's not enough quality depth. It's a big drop off between a couple great guys. And then it's just a bunch of dudes and you need better <laughs> depth. You need better guys in the middle. You need better second tier hitters than that, yes. or it's just not going to work and, and better pitching. So um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say, I predict at this point, I'm going to predict Houston to win the division, but I'm, I'm, an, I'm actually rooting more for the A's, but I'm just going to give Houston the edge a little bit, but uh, I would not be disappointed either way. Yeah, probably one of the more uh, intriguing races in the American League um, and definitely one to watch. Uh, Two very, very good teams at the top with the A's and the Astros. So as we get closer to uh, the midway point and then uh, after the All-Star break to the the push for the playoffs, it's one to keep a close eye on. And now we're going to hop into our last segment. Um, the top underachiever and top overachiever of the season so far. So for underachiever, um, we, Chris and I each pick a player that has surprised us in a negative way. Uh, and for overachiever, a player that has surprised us uh, in a positive way. But, you know, we know we, for underachiever, you know, we think they can be way better and they've proven they, they can be way better than what they're doing. Uh, for overachiever, we think they're probably going to regress uh, more to their um, to their average stats and more towards uh, not being as great of a player as they've shown thus far this season. So we'll start with uh, the bad, the underachiever. We picked uh, we each picked a player from the same team, the Cincinnati Reds, and I will go first. And my player is Luis Castillo. Um, and this really could go for the entire Reds pitching staff, but I think Luis Castillo has been the um, most stark example uh, and the uh, kind of definition of an underachiever this season. He is two and nine, which we know record doesn't mean a whole lot at this point for pitchers anymore, but his ERA is 6.47. Is he a 6.47 pitcher? No, because his FIP is 4.56. Still not great. Still not even good. Pretty much average. Um, but one thing that had, that jumped out to me looking at his baseball reference page is he has thrown 64 innings this season and allowed 46 earned runs, which leads the league. Last year, he threw 70 innings and only allowed 25 earned runs and pitched to a 3.21 ERA and actually pitched better than that. His FIP was uh, 2.65. Um, so Luis Castillo has just been very, very bad for the Cincinnati Reds. He has proven he can be so much better. He was an all-star in 2019, pitching to a 3.4 ERA, striking out 226 batters. Um, and it's not like he's walking a lot of guys. He's only issued 27 walks. He's allowing a lot of contact, a lot of hard contact, and just not performing to the level that, you know, his his team needs him to and the level that he has kind of established uh, himself to be as, as a pitcher. And, uh, you know, he still has time to turn it around. It's only June 14th. So 
you know, for his sake, you never like to see anybody um, performing poorly. Um, so for his sake, I hope he can turn it around because the Reds need it. They're having, they're getting career seasons from uh, Winker and Castellanos and uh, they definitely uh, deserve a lot better. Those two guys deserve a lot better from the pitching side, especially uh, from for Luis Castillo, because it's it's been a very bad first two months of the season for him. Yeah, no doubt about that. That was actually the first name that came to mind for this segment for me. And I saw that you had already gone with them. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I'll go to plan B. But yeah, yeah I mean, sorry. This is a guy who, no, you're good. It was very, it was a good uh, appropriate choice uh, yeah. because this is a guy who I saw heading into the season. Some people had ranked as like the, you know, some as a top 10 pitcher in baseball. Like, yeah. you know, he'd, be, he'd become a, you know, legitimate kind of ace caliber pitcher. And he has the highest ERA of any qualifier in baseball right now. <laughs> So no. it's just ugly. Like I think you, you said basically everything that I was thinking on that he's got time to turn it around. He hasn't been as bad as the numbers would suggest, but still it's, it's really, there's no great explanation for, for what's going on unless mm-hmm. there's a hidden injury we don't know about. So hopefully he's able to flip the switch here and, and get back to being the guy that we all know he can be. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the guy that I picked for my top underachiever is, uh, like you mentioned, uh, we both picked Reds. I picked uh, Eugenio Suarez, uh, who could legitimately be the best power hit, one of the best power hitters in baseball. Uh, in mm-hmm. 2019, he hit 49 home runs. Uh, so that's the kind of guy he could be. He hit 49 home runs with a 270 batting average. So a very respectable, yeah. not great, but very respectable batting average. The years prior, he was 280, 260, 250. So a, a good hit, I mean, uh, not just a big power hitter, but also a decent uh, average at, at worst. It was, at worst, it was still decent. Uh, and then yeah. last year he goes out there in the shortened season and he does hit 15 home runs, but he only he hits 202 and that's not good, but he's also a guy who can be streaky. So people thought, well, you know, it's just a down year in terms of average, mm-hmm. he'll be fine. And he has not been fine. His power <laughs> is still mostly there. He has 14 home runs. Yeah. Uh, basically he's basically showing the power just like he showed last year. He's probably right. still going to hit 30, 40 home runs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's hitting 169, which is the second worst of any player in baseball. And that's, I mean, that's hard to play. Like, it doesn't matter how much, I mean, you have to have a lot of power. I mean, a lot of power to even be okay hitting in the low two hundreds. Like there'll be some guys with great power who hit 220 or 210. And you say, well, at least he hit for a lot of power. There's really no amount of power that can make up for a guy hitting 169. Um, it's just ugly. You know, they had to move him to shortstop to begin the year because they didn't have a shortstop and they didn't want to pay for a shortstop and they didn't yeah. sign Marcus Simeon because they didn't want to pay him. And clearly <laughs> that was a miss. Uh, but so they, I don't know if him playing shortstop has like messed with his hit. You know, he's focused on that and not his hitting, but mm-hmm. um, that's just ugly. Like, you got to hit at least in the low two hundreds to get away with it, no matter how much power you have. So, right. you know, like you said, the reds are getting career years out of uh, winker out of Castellanos and they're a respectable club, but they're still basically 500 because of some underperformers like Castillo and like Suarez. Yes. And one thing, one stat, I'll just add this real quick. One stat we've mm-hmm. talked about a lot on the show is OPS plus. Um, yeah. And during Suarez's uh, best years, like 2017, 2018, 2019, 
he was sitting 115, 130, 130 again uh, in 18 and 19. Uh, last year, he was at 98, just a tick below league average. This year, he's at 63. Um, uh, so yikes. very, very far below uh, league average. Um, obviously, that's going to happen when you hit 171 and uh, have an OPS of 634. So, you know, two guys, Castillo and Suarez, that uh, just have not performed to the level that they have proven they can uh, in previous years. So definitely under, definitely underachieving uh, at this point in the season, but still time for both of them uh, to bounce back and get back to that level uh, that they've shown that they can play at. Um, overachiever, Chris, you want to get us started? Sure. Uh, I will get us started with Brandon Crawford. Uh, this is a really interesting case. He's a name who's been around a while. He is the yeah. oldest starting shortstop in Major League Baseball at 34 years old, and he's tied for first in baseball in defensive war. So he's been the best defender. I mean, by that metric, he's been the yeah. best, one of the best defenders in baseball, despite being the oldest starting shortstop in baseball. He's sixth in the NL in war among all hitters. And he's been the best player on a team that is right now still in first place in a division that includes the Dodgers and the Padres. He's been the best player on a first place team in a great division. Um, he recently broke the record for the most games played at shortstop in Giants history. Uh, he has shown um, it, it's June 14th and he is tied for his second most home runs he has ever hit in a season at 14. <laughs> um, wow. You know, this is not a guy who's ever been recognized for having a great bat. Even in no. his good prime years, he had a respectable bat. He was always a great defender who, mm -hmm. um, just a great defender who was a okay hitter. I mean, his OPS pluses were like around a hundred most years, you know, a little below, yeah. a little above. He's just a, a solid average-ish hitter, but a great defender at shortstop. Uh, and mm -hmm. so that certainly played this year. He's out there with an OPS plus of 141. Uh, right. He's not going to keep this up. Uh, this off this level of offensive production. Apparently, he's made some changes to his swing, and and I, you know, maybe he does have a career year offensively. He probably will at the end of the day because of the head start he has. Um, right. Definitely. But, but still, it's just amazing to see a guy like this, a guy who you know, just in my head entering this year, it's like, oh yeah, he's still the Giants shortstop. He, you know, he's a good defender, but he's getting older and he hits 11 home runs and hits 250 and he's just sure. a dude. And here he is out here as one of the best players in the National League. Mm -hmm. um, he's going to regress, but it's not to say that he's not going to be a good player, or have a career year. It's a cool story that you have a guy like that for shortstops, 34 is old and yes. he's still getting it done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he... He was a two-time All-Star, 2015 and 2018. Um, and like you said, he's only ever hit 20, 20 home runs once. He hit 21 in 2015. Uh, but beyond that, the most home runs he ever hit was 14. And he's at that mark now, like you said. So will he surpass 21 home runs? I mean, at this pace, probably. It would be uh, yeah. a, quite a drop-off, at least in power, if he didn't. Um and at this point, he's got by far his best OPS plus at 141 of his career. Um, but yeah, I mean, between Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford, I mean, the Giants are having a uh, a uh, 
kind of a bounce back year for, for established veterans that we all kind of thought were uh, not washed up, but, you know, past their prime, even, sure. you know, you look at Evan Longoria um, batting 280 with nine homers. Um, another guy that, you know, we thought was all kind of on his way out. Um, but I guess the giants have found something in all of them and they found something in themselves to, help that team do a first place uh, position in the National League West that includes the Dodgers and the Padres, who we all thought were going to be the, the two horses in that division race. And then the Giants came and said, you know, hey, we're still here. We still uh, we still have a team on the field and they are better than both, uh, both the Dodgers and the Padres. So, um, yeah, Brandon Crawford, we'll see if he can continue it. But uh, – definitely something to keep an eye on my overachiever um mm -hmm. comes from one of the worst teams in baseball probably the yeah top five worst team in baseball but it's adam frazier um second baseman for the pittsburgh pirates and adam frazier is a guy who came into the league came into the league in 2016 as a you know light hitting middle infielder at about 270, 280 um, in his first handful of seasons. Didn't play well last year, um, only hit 230. His on-base percentage was below 300. Um, hit for a little bit of power, seven homers in uh, about 200 at-bats. And then this year, he's come out and kind of taken the league by storm. He, his batting average is 336. He's getting on base almost 40% of the time. And even his OPS is 871 because he has uh, 23 doubles, which leads the league. And he also leads the league in hits with 85. Um, so definitely somebody that kind of came out of nowhere, um, not heading for a ton of, uh, you know, home run power. He's only got two, but he's got 24 RBIs, um, already passed his mark from last year in uh, about 50 more at-bats. Um but 23 doubles, he only had seven in 2020. Um, so he's found his stroke. He is one of the guys that um, White Sox uh, beat writers and White Sox Twitter has been clamoring for the White Sox front office to go after, especially after Nick Madrigal went down with his hamstring injury. Um, and I definitely think it would be a, a smart move, um, you know, even if it is just a, a rental situation because Magical will presumably come back and get back to the level he was playing at before. Um, but it would definitely be somebody like Magical to fill that hole. Somebody who hits for a lot of, uh, for a high average, doesn't strike out a whole lot, um, you know, has that, that gap to gap power to hit for doubles. And, uh, you know, will he regress? I really don't know. He's young enough. He's only 29 to where this could be, you know, he could hit for an average north of 300 and just be kind of a doubles machine and a hit machine. Um, so will he continue it? I hope so for his sake, for, for you know, the prospect of, of the White Sox potentially going out and trading for him before the deadline. And I just think it's a fun story. So my pick uh, for overachiever of the year of the year so far is uh, Adam Frazier. Yeah. A very good pick. A guy who really has had a career year. And my first thought with him too is, 
you know, where is he going to be come August 1st? Like what team is he going to have been traded to? Because of course the pirates yeah. are not, you know, they're not a contender. They're ways away from that. They've clearly shown a willingness to trade away, uh, but, you know, pieces who could bring them some prospects uh, in the meantime in recent years. So his baseball, I looked up Frazier's uh, baseball savant page, which is, uh, you know, it's an MLB.com page that basically shows a lot of advanced st uh, statistics for him. And it's a really weird profile, like in an interesting way. His expected batting average is in the 89th percentile, meaning like he legitimately is a, a great average hitter like he is probably going to hit above 300 like that's not a surprise like you said and he just does not strike out at all he's got one of the lowest strikeout rates in baseball so you combine that together and you think yeah he is probably gonna hit for a good average and and be a good hitter but then he also is in the third percentile in average exit velocity meaning he 97 percent of the league is hitting the ball harder than him so he doesn't hit the ball hard. He hits the ball very softly, but he controls the strike zone and he's just a singles hitter. I mean, don't expect him to hit 10, uh, hit even 10 home runs, but he has an incredible command for the strike zone. And yeah, maybe he would be a kind of a very good replacement for Nick Madrigal if the White Sox were willing to go out and, and spend a little in terms of prospects to, uh, to get him. Uh, but yeah, really interesting profile because He's so bad in some, not bad, but he's so, you know, low below average here. And so above yeah. average here, I think the end result is a good player who is having a career year at age, uh, career year at age 29, like you said. Yeah. And uh, that strikeout rate at 90 in the 99th percentile just has me curious because if that is anything. Yeah. Nick Madrigal in 2021 uh, was in the 100th percentile in strikeout <laughs> rate and whiff rate. Um, so very comparable uh, two players, mm -hmm. at least from that uh, perspective, uh, because yeah. he, neither guy really strikes out or swings and misses a whole lot because Adam Frazier is in the 98th percentile uh, in, whiff, in whiff percentage. So, um, yeah, definitely a guy I would like the White Sox to at least take a look at. Um, yeah. They haven't had any major problems since Madrigal went down, but it is a long season. Guys will get tired uh, just from being used more than than uh, they were expecting to be used. But uh, yeah, so I think that is all we have time for today. We got through all of our uh, all of our content and talked about all the major stories in baseball that happened over the last week. Um, White Sox start a series with the Rays and the Cardinals with the Marlins, correct, Chris? Uh, yes, they're playing uh, the Marlins right now at home. And uh, as I'm looking here, we have another injury uh, oh, to throw geez. in here. Right elbow inflammation for Tyler Glass now, the yes. Rays ace. So uh, injuries keep piling up uh, for pitchers. I uh, just wanted to throw that in there. But, yeah, our Cardinals at home taking on the Marlins. Yeah, I saw at the game over here on my phone, the White Sox game, and I saw Glass now leave the game potentially early. It was the fifth inning, so I didn't really think too much of it. But then I saw a replay of him kind of moving his wrist around a little uh, gingerly. So hopefully it's not uh, – I'm not sad that it happened against the White Sox, but definitely don't want to wish any uh, injury on any player, um, even if they are uh, – 
playing against your team. So uh, hopefully Glassnow can bounce back and he's not out for too long because we have seen way too many injuries this season um, to a lot of very, very good players. That uh, It's a shame that baseball is missing out on uh, this yeah. season. But um, that is all the time we have uh, next week. We will be back to discuss everything, uh, everything that happens this week in baseball. Um, we'll see if the Blue Jays can continue their uh, offensive high and the White Sox can continue their uh, great streak that they're on with the uh, series against the Rays and then going to Houston for four games, which is going to be very tough. And we'll see if the Cardinals can uh, get back on track and at least, uh, you know, play a respectable uh, week against their next uh, batch of uh, relatively easy opponents. So um, for Chris, I am Jake, and that is all we have on this week's episode of the Warning Track Power podcast. Thank you for listening.